Hello, my name is Emily Jansen, and this is the Leadership is Female podcast. We interview women in the sports and entertainment businesses to teach you the tips and the mindset that will get you to the top faster. Marion Wright Edelman said, you can't be what you can't see. Let's bring visibility to women who are crushing it in their roles. Join us week after week, season after season, as we reach back to extend a hand to pull you forward. We will lead you forward because leadership is female. As a leading research and insights veteran with over 15 years of experience, Christine Lawrence's expertise has informed the production and consumption of some of the world's largest sports and entertainment providers, including World Wrestling Entertainment, the WWE, Spike TV, and MTV Networks. Through data-driven storytelling, Christine excels at increasing understanding, improving decision-making, and elevating deliverables for organizations creating content while impacting how and when consumers engage with content. As the Senior Director of Media Insights and Analytics for WWE, Christine has emerged as a mobilizing leader for the global organization. Over the past decade, she has led her team in providing consumer insights and consumption analysis that impact entertainment delivery to 1 billion households across 180 countries in 30 languages. For Christine, data analysis enables the discovery of human behavior, and she's passionate about her work's role in creating shared experiences where people increase their understanding of one another. Today's interview is all about how to present tough concepts, being a lifelong learner, and the key steps to stepping into management. Listen in to this fun interview from a total pro. Let's go. Welcome to the Leadership is Female podcast. Christine Lawrence, who is the Senior Director of Media Insights and Analytics for WWE. And we are excited for a lot of reasons to have you. We have never interviewed someone from WWE. And anytime I get to talk about data and analytics and how it drives decision-making in the sports and entertainment industry, sign me up. So lots of reason to be excited for you to be here. Can you tell us who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you you introduced me great there, Christine Lawrence. I work at WWE. I've been here almost 10 years now, which is amazing to me. If you talked to me as a child and said you would spend at least 10 years at WWE, I would not have believed that, um, but really happy to be here. Um, I work with the team and lead a team that tracks, analyzes, reports on viewership and consumption of any WWE content wherever it lives. So if it's TV, if it's streaming, if it's social media, if there's content to be consumed, my team is the team telling the story of who's consuming it. And how did you get there um, for your love of data and also the Mets? Where did that come from? Oh, and <laughs> how did you land in, in the seat you're in today? I can I can pretty much trace my entire career trajectory back to the X-Files. Call it the Scully effect or obsessive fandom. The truth is probably somewhere in the middle of those two. But if it wasn't for the X-Files, I wouldn't have started tracking the ratings when they were published in the newspaper. I wouldn't have even thought there was a job where I could get paid to talk about how TV was performing and what was impacting it. Working at Nielsen was my dream job since middle school, which is, I understand, a very weird dream for a middle schooler to have, but that was my dream. And 
once I got out of grad school, Nielsen was the first place I worked, which like who gets to go to their dream job right away, right? And I started to realize, you know, you work one dream job, you just have to have a bigger dream now. So from there, I went on to Viacom and I went on to work at Spike TV. And then I got recruited to WWE, which in itself was very exciting for me. So that's more or less how I ended up here. As for the Mets, uh, my first game, I was three weeks old. My parents took me to the Mets game uh, up in the nosebleeds at Shea Stadium. You know, I was three weeks old. I mean, assuming you don't count the games my mom went to when she was pregnant, um, because I guess those would be first. Um, But I was a fan from birth. I'm a fan for life, good or bad. Uh, That is my team. I bleed blue and orange. It's just the way it is. I love that. I, my second son, his, his first game at five weeks old. So you've got him beat, um, was the Houston Astros. We were living in Houston at the time. So we'll see how that plays out in the long run, but I'm sure you had a lot more, uh, tickets scanned at the Mets by the time you were five than, than my son does at the Astros today. <laughs> we, we used to go pretty regularly to Shea stadium when I was growing up. Then, you know, I went to college and I wasn't living in the area anymore. My parents moved to North Carolina, so they weren't up in the area anymore. But when I came back from grad school, I started going to games again. When I worked in Manhattan for a while, I would just take the subway to the game. It was amazing. Uh, Now I live in the suburbs. I don't work in Manhattan anymore. So getting there is a bit more of a trip, but I'm a season ticket holder now. So I get there whenever I can. (laughs) Yes, you are. You are the lifeblood of baseball organizations, being a fan since birth and season ticket holder now today, and also working in the sports and entertainment industry is incredible. And I've got to ask you, for those of us who didn't grow up with the X-Files and and the ratings sort of driving our um, idea of where we would work in the future. How does someone who wants to work in data analytics start? And what does it take to be successful in that sector of the industry? I think there are a lot of different paths into data and analytics. For some people, it's through education. You know, you get a degree or a certificate in math or data science. Uh, For other people, it might not be a degree, but it might just be curiosity playing with data that you find, like how I was tracking data that was in the newspaper. Now the internet's around, there's a lot more data available. Um, You know, taking little snippets of information you find, learning how to code, experimenting with spreadsheets and charts and showcasing things you're interested in. Uh, For some people, it might be working in an industry you love, but maybe not in a data position, but getting a chance to play with the numbers and falling in love with it. Or you could be like me, someone who was eh, okay at math in high school, didn't love it, Never thought I'd be working in a math job, even though my dream job was essentially a math job. It just, the the disconnect was real. Um, but you just having a passion for understanding and sharing information and finding a way to turn it into a career. There's really, there's no one way. There's no right way. There's no wrong way. 
ultimately, I think the what it takes to be successful is what I call the three C's, curiosity, creativity, and commitment. If you've got those three things, you can really do just about anything, especially analytics. I love the three C's. And you also mentioned passion in your explanation, which I think is sort of that cherry on top um, for the magic ingredients to really pursuing a career that you love. And as Senior Director of Media Insights and Analytics for WWE, you've emerged as a leader for this global organization. How did you do it in terms of emerging as that leader? How did you rise through the ranks and motivate leadership to lean on data to drive decision-making? I mean, I had to convince people to trust that I knew what I was doing, right? Uh, A lot of folks, especially who have been in the industry for a long time, they go from the gut. You know, they make decisions based on what they believe is the best choice, not necessarily data-driven, not even necessarily data-centric. Just this is what I know will work. I'm going to do it. So really making an inroads into getting people to buy into the data, you have to bring it to them in a way that they can digest and in a way that speaks to, you know, yeah, what your gut is saying is right. Here's why. And then they trust the data more or what your gut is saying might be right, but this is also another option we could look at based on what we're seeing. I mean, they hired me to do this job. Why would they pay me to do this if they don't trust my skills in some way. But it's it's never just that easy to get somebody to trust you, right? I mean, I had to put in the hours here, but I had to put in years of work before this to get to that point. And now that I'm here, I had to make my case for why we should report numbers a certain way or why we should look at certain metrics versus others based on my experiences from outside of the company I'm at now. I had to build a rapport with the leaders above me. I had to translate the information in a way that, you know, was easy for them to understand and easy for them to confidently share with other people. Because it's one thing to understand the numbers. It's another thing to then take those numbers and have the confidence to tell that same story and believe what you're saying, and not feel like you're going to trip over some jargon. Um, Unfortunately, sometimes it means telling the truth about the numbers, even when it's the last thing someone wants to hear. Um, Not being afraid to be the bearer of bad news is is a real skill in this field, because let's be real, that's absolutely terrifying, but sometimes it's what you have to do. And early on when I was here, I felt like every day part of my responsibility was to reprove why they hired me, why I was here, and what I could do. But over time, building those relationships, proving it day in and day out, I, I proved that I could be more than just an individual contributor who was doing, you know, just these reports, just answering your questions to actually proving I have the skills to build a team who could be just as effective and trusted as I am with that information. But it all starts with building that trust. 
Yeah. And I have some stats here for the audience. 1 billion households across 180 countries and 30 languages. So when we say global organization, I think uh, I think we mean it with, with those statistics. So can you paint a picture of WWE distribution? And then furthermore, how do you describe your fans and how does WWE deliver what those fans are expecting from your brand? I'm going to start with the fans because without the fans, we're nothing, right? We're putting this content out there for those fans. And our fans are passionate. They are engaged. They're invested in the stories we have to tell. They're one of the most diverse sports audiences out there. They're not just young. They're not just guys. They're not just white. They're not just American. They are everywhere. WWE is for everyone. I have met so many different fans throughout my time here. Every one of them with their own experience and how they came to the brand or what they love about the brand or how they engage with the brand. And there's a way for everyone. And one of the things I think we do best is delivering those stories along with our top tier athleticism and delivering it everywhere that our fans are. If it's TV, if it's streaming, we're on Peacock, we're on Hulu, we're licensed internationally on various streaming platforms, uh, or on social media, we're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, Snapchat, Twitch. I feel like I might be missing something, but odds are if it's a major platform, we're there. <laughs> Um, or even just going to a live show. We're touring 52 weeks a year. We don't have a home base that, like, I'm a Mets fan. Home base for me is City Field. Maybe I travel down to Florida and see the Mets play the Marlins. But more likely, I'm going to the games at City Field. And you're more likely to be a fan of a team if it's close to you. For us, we're traveling the country, we're traveling the continent, we're traveling the globe. We're giving our fans everywhere an opportunity to be a part of it. And that's just really cool and really different from a lot of other sports that are out there. And for what it's worth, WWE is turning 60 this year. Wow. And our, our flagship in-ring shows, Raw and SmackDown, have been running weekly for 30 and 24 years, respectively. We have fans who've been there from the beginning, and we have fans who weren't even born yet when those shows launched. I have coworkers who weren't born yet <laughs> when those shows launched. <laughs> but, you know, we're we're everywhere, and we we strive to deliver something that puts smiles on the faces of our fans and I think we do an incredible job of it. What was your, so when you were in your role, what was your first, attending your first event like? What were you oh, most gosh. surprised by? You know, what <laughs> really like knocked you off your feet? What was that emotion around <laughs> event one? So my my first major, so my first ever WWE event was before I worked here. It was one of the first dates I ever went on with my now husband. It was 2008 summer during the Summer Olympics. I was working at Nielsen at the time. 
And after work during the Olympics, we went to a live show at Madison Square Garden. I had never been to a WWE show in person before, though I'd watched the product on TV and I've been to, you know, little local wrestling shows, but the atmosphere at Madison Square Garden is off the charts electric. It was one of the coolest experiences. And I I wish that I could experience WWE for the first time every time because it's just the crowd is like, I don't know, it brings a different energy than any other venue I've ever been to, any other show I've ever been to. I say that, then my first WrestleMania happened, which was also shortly before I started working at WWE. It was maybe a few months before I even knew there was an opportunity to work here. I went to WrestleMania 29 at MetLife Stadium, and I had never been to any WWE pay-per-view before. They were called pay-per-views at the time. We call them premium live events now, but that was a pay-per-view. I was in the nosebleeds and it did not matter. It was a stadium full of people cheering the good guys, booing the bad guys, chanting this is awesome, chanting things I maybe can't repeat here, but just being so involved in the story that was being told in that ring in front of us. And if I had known then that I was going to end up here, I I don't know what I would have done, but it was just so cool. And now I'm here. After I started working here, you know, I, I've gone to TV tapings. I've gone to premium events. Uh, I worked at WrestleMania 30. Um, maybe not my best experience. I uh, may have had a medical issue and ended up in the hospital in New Orleans, but it still worked and I still went to the show and it was still one of the best weekends of my life. Just not a great story to tell. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I can feel your enthusiasm for the the end product and for the event experience just through hearing you talk about it and it's it's no doubt that after an experience of the the person who attends becomes a fan absolutely um, and um that's probably why you've accumulated uh billions across the <laughs> world so you mentioned this briefly earlier and we were talking about data and related to um, sort of getting the stakeholders to to buy in. And you gave a couple examples of of how you can do that. But can you talk about what are the keys to data translation to key stakeholders in the organization that might um, either they they want the data um, or you're delivering bad news and you've got to deal with it that way, or they're one of those gut feeling people like kind of give us the the lay of the land on what that presentation would look like. Cause I think that's applicable to most times when you're trying to, to tell a story or to sell a story uh, to, to your managers. Oh, absolutely. So working with data means you have the opportunity to work with everyone, whether it's people with their boots on the ground, making sales, 
putting on the events, producing things, editing videos, posting videos, or all the way up to the C-suite executives. Everybody is being touched by data in some way, which means I, as a data person, have the opportunity to work with all of these people. But not everyone has the same background or experience or understanding. So it's my job and my team's job or anyone in this role to make sure that anybody who's using the data understands the data. And otherwise, it's useless to them. So it's, it's all about meeting people where they're at. Usually it means cutting out jargon, cutting out technical terms, wherever you can. Sometimes they're unavoidable. But if you have to have them, spell it out. Plain English it as much as you can. I am a big proponent of plain English, simple sentences. Um, I don't need multi-syllable words to explain a concept. Please explain it to me like I'm five kind of thing. Um, because it's the best way to start processing it and then dig deeper. Uh, sometimes I'll put a visual together to explain how the data was calculated. Um, where I'll, you know, I'll make a visual map. Here's what was collected. Here's what we're combining. Here's how this breaks down. And I'll walk through it step by step with someone to make sure they understand it. Um, maybe I will, you know, put a visual together that explains how a metric is even defined. Uh, I have a slide that I use in my 101 presentation that I give to interns that is just, here's 15 houses, and here's how we calculate a rating in a world where there's only 15 homes. <laughs> but actually mapping out with pictures, here's who was watching, here's who wasn't, here's what that translates to into numbers. Simplifying it and breaking it down is a great step to start with. That's not always the best way to do it for everyone. Someone in the C-suite doesn't necessarily have that kind of time. So for them, it's really making sure I understand what their question actually is or what they're trying to do with the data and telling the story of the numbers in a way that relates to what they're trying to do. And I can clearly say, this is the question that you're asking. Here is the answer to that. Here's the story you're trying to tell. Here's why we can. Here's why we can't. Here's what I would suggest. Um, but making sure you're serving their need, even if you can't give them the answer they want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is such great points. And I love how you started out with cutting out the technical terms and check the jargon. I think that applies to basically anyone um, in this industry where you are presenting or selling a product, it's really easy to jump into our internal office speak when you're meeting with an external stakeholder and they're like, I do not know what you're talking about, or they're going to fake it till they make it till you get to the point at the end of the conversation. And we uh, use so many acronyms that when I started working here, I had to make a list of what those acronyms were. Some of them were people's names. Some of them were departments. Some of them were reports. I didn't know the difference between any of them. And I don't want someone to feel as lost as I did in that moment. 
So I try really hard to the first time I'm going to use an acronym, immediately say what that acronym means. Such a good point and just a great reminder for all of us. And uh, really, it's about making people feel comfortable and not starting from behind. It's not a great way to make a presentation or make a sale when your audience doesn't even know what page you're on. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, how has your understanding of data changed your worldview, especially when you're looking at a map that includes this, this whole planet that must have started to shape you as a person over the last 10 years? Well, for one thing, I question every single survey result or data point I see in the press because I know the work that goes into some of those points to tell a certain story. I'm always asking if I see a number in an article or on the news or something, where did this come from? What's the source? What's the sample size? Are there caveats that they're not really explaining that I should be aware of? What action is that data trying to influence and why? Because um, whether you realize it or not, Data has an influence on everything we do, and it has the potential to be used incorrectly or presented in a biased manner to shape and influence action and opinions. And understanding data can really help you see through that. Um, so working with data has really shaped my view that way. And I mean, that sounds a little pessimistic, but it's it's really realistic. I don't take any data that I see in the press at face value until I can confirm what the source of that information is. Uh, because at the end of the day, everyone's trying to sell you something. If you are listening to this podcast, I know you are a busy professional. We can agree we are always looking for products that are convenient and make life easier. Mobot water bottles are one of these products. It's a water bottle and a foam roller in one. I use the water bottle at the gym, staying hydrated in boot camp and then flipping the bottle on its side at the end of class to quickly foam roll my legs. It helps with recovery and gets me back to work faster. Get yours at mobot.com and use the code leadershipisfemale, all one word, to get 15% off. Support Lonnie Cooper, the female founder of this product, and support yourself. This is a must-have wellness water bottle. At Leadership is Female, we are serious about supporting you in your career. That includes the tips to get you ahead inside your current organization or provide you with the next big opportunity in a new role. That's why we have partnered with Legacy Search, an executive recruiting firm specializing in mid to senior level executive searches across professional, collegiate, and minor league sports. Check out the openings listed at LegacySportsSearch.com or in our monthly Leadership is Female newsletter. Hint, if you have not signed up for the newsletter, head to leadershipisfemale.com. If you find a job listed at Legacy Sports Search that looks like it should be yours, email us at leadershipisfemale at gmail.com and we will introduce you directly to the opportunity. This is your career. Make the most of it. I don't know about you, but I love learning more about myself. If there's a quiz out there to help me better understand who I am, I'll take it. If there's a journal prompt, I'm using it. But how about a business that helps female leaders communicate effectively while inspiring confidence and trust in those you want to impact? 
Sign me up. Breakthrough Brands is unlocking clarity for women leading progress. They build leadership brands for women to discover what inspires them, define what drives them, and unlock how to share their brands with others. Do you want to gain clarity on your personal brand? Shoot me a note at leadershipisfemale at gmail.com or on Instagram, and we will introduce you to the women who will help you unlock your leadership brand. That's breakthroughbrands.com. I love that question you asked, what action is that data trying to influence and why? And I, I just, my instantly my brain started spinning. Like I can't even form the words for the next sentence. Cause I'm just, I, ins- I went to another planet to start to think about like what I've been presented, who presented it to me, why they presented it to me and what they wanted me to do once they told me those percentages, those numbers, um, that story. That's, it's just, it's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, we use it in sales. We use it to try to make changes in our own products. And not every action is a negative action that you're trying to influence. But at the end of the day, that data exists for a reason and it's to influence something. So when you get a set of data and you are, Compare, like, let's say you came up with um, with a program or a marketing concept or a new show. How do you compare, like, compare the idea to the data set and say we did good or we did bad? Are you setting those benchmarks ahead of time? Do those benchmarks or those KPIs change sometimes after that data is received based on what you got? Like, when is it time to celebrate that you did a good job? Or are you always on this, like, okay, we could pivot here. We could move here. We could change this. We could change that. Uh, I would say it's very much we'll celebrate for about 20 minutes and then it's on to how do we do it better? Mm -hmm. Um, that's, That's just how it's been for as long as I've been here because there's always something we could improve. There's always something we, you know, we did okay and we could do better or something we did great, but we could do phenomenal. Uh, there's there's no, ah, uh, that was good enough. We don't do good enough. <laughs> we always want to put the best thing out there. So we have a set of KPIs that obviously we're going to look at. And because we license out a lot of our content, our partners will have KPIs that they're hoping we hit. And so we can't change what they want to see, but we can help explain why we did or did not get to where a partner wanted it to be. Uh, Do I get asked in any job that I've worked, not just here, do I get asked, can we say X, Y, Z? And I have to answer, no, we can't. Yes, that happens. But, you know, I... I can't, I can't say X, Y, Z, but I can say A, B, C, and that's close to that, and it's more realistic, and it's still very positive, but it, it's a battle sometimes. What do you think motivates you and the team to always go after better, right? You said if you do great, you want to do excellent. If you do well, you're going to improve and do better. Like what, what do you think is that motivation at WWE that inspires your team and your staff to always go after more? 
I mean, that's been the culture here for as long as I can. I mean, before I was here, that's the culture I came into. And honestly, it it matches my feelings from outside of here. I could do okay, but I could always do better. I I always want to learn more. I always want to improve. I want to, every day, I want to be a better person than I was the day before. And how can I do that? So for me, it's my personal feeling that just goes along very well with the corporate culture here. Can you identify where that came from? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'd like to say uh, my parents were, I mean, my parents were a really strong influence on me. They always wanted me to do well. They really believed in me. They pushed me to do better than I thought I could do. They also gave me the space when, I was doing what I needed to do. And I was in a place where I did not need to be doing more than that. So I, I really appreciate that. But they always pushed me to strive and do better. But the actual ev- live every day, as, like be better than I was the day before, that's that's a pretty new development for me, um, considering I'm about to turn 40. And it, that was not my entire life. But last 10, 15 years or so, that's that's how I've really seen things. Yeah. And how incredible for you to be in an environment that supports that mentality that is supports and encourages. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I love that. Well, you know, there had to be a little bit of a, a stumbling block once or twice in your career. Is there a hurdle that you've had to overcome and how did you get over that hurdle and what did you learn? Uh, transitioning from being an individual contributor to being a team leader and a people manager. That was a huge hurdle for me. Um, A lot of folks do not believe me, uh, but I am a massive introvert, especially outside of work. You would not believe it from this conversation, but I am a massive introvert outside of work. Um, And I honestly used to be a lot more introverted at work too. I just, I love being head down, working on a project, exploring, solving problems, whatever. Um, Sometimes, and my team would even say this, I lose track of time because I'm so absorbed in what I'm working on. I look up and it's eight o'clock. Everybody's gone. Why am I still here? Um, And that's just kind of the way I've worked for a really long time. But about a year and a half, two years ago, um, my former boss, who I absolutely loved working with, took an opportunity to move on to another company. And when he left, he advocated for me to take on his role as team lead for what was at the time content analytics, um, what's now the media insights and analytics team. Um, And that was terrifying for me because I had to learn how to delegate, which was not something I was really doing before that. I had to learn how to let go of control of the product I was putting out there because at the end of the day, I can't do everything and I shouldn't do everything. I have to let my team learn and grow and do the same way I was given the opportunity to. Um, But that was scary. I mean, that was incredibly scary because up until that point, all of the work that was being put out reflected only me. And now the work that's being put out still reflects me, but it also reflects my team. And I want us all to succeed. So I have to do my best to develop them so that they can 
in turn put out the best work possible. Um, I also ended up getting my executive MBA. Uh, I just graduated back in December. Uh, so I did that full time while I was in school because I really wanted to learn more of the business jargon. I mean, I hate jargon, but I wanted to understand other parts of the business than what I had been working on. Now that I was in this role where I was less in the day-to-day work and more in the operations and, you know, working with people outside of my team and developing projects and influencing decisions more. So taking that was another scary step that I took that wouldn't have come about if I didn't have that opportunity to go from individual contributor to leader. Um, I think there's another tipping point coming in my career, though. Um, The industry that I love, the TV industry, has been changing for years. And some days I think I'm a dinosaur. I'm a relic of the past, someone who specializes in understanding a dying format of linear TV. I have to grow and adapt or I will go extinct. And that's the hurdle that I know is down the road. It's like one of those speed bumps that the sign is missing and it's just going to sneak up on me. But I'm doing my best to make sure that I'm learning Every day, new platforms that are out there, new ways to look at the data, new tools that I can analyze data with, practicing my skills, and, you know, just making sure that I'm ready to evolve when the opportunity comes. So I have to acknowledge you for two things here. The first, going from an individual contributor to a team leader is so hard, and the way that you described your journey and really your vision for yourself as a leader and then also your team. And when you said that your teammates need the opportunity to learn and grow the same way you did, by acknowledging that, I know that you're a great leader of of your team because people often get promoted to leadership positions and nothing changes for them internally. They keep doing their thing. They keep collecting the accolades and they think their team will figure it out. And you have made that transition to support your teammates while still charge ahead with your work, but your work is is shared with a larger body of people. Oh, absolutely. I My goal is to be the boss I always wanted to have. I want to be the the boss that supports my team the way I always wanted to be supported. Because uh, let's face it, the people who work for me today could very well end up being my boss down the road. And I want to make sure that they're the best possible people out there doing the best possible work and having the best possible experience in their career so that they can then share that with people down the road. Mm-hmm. Well, you are certainly showing showing them also how to learn and grow and adapt and up-level and upskill with your curiosity and passion for learning uh, and setting that example for them that, hey, you made it, you made it to the leadership position, you made it to be their boss, but that didn't mean that you're growing as a person and as, as a contributor stopped. 
And I think that is, that's the boss that we want. One that shows you what is still out there to learn that you can bring more uh, to the office and to the position. So that that's phenomenal. And I know that you've said before that you're on a mission to lead by using data to change perceptions and solve challenges. So can you give us an example? Yeah, I so I have two big personal focuses right now. One is accessibility inclusiveness. I've been taking this certificate program offered to members of Pro Sports Assembly, incredible member-led organization for people who work in sports. Um, and that's really helping develop my skills in that area. Um, Donna Mack, the disability diplomat, is teaching it, and she is an incredible person, and I love learning from her. Um, I mean, I love learning in general, but I absolutely love learning from her. Uh, one of the things that came up recently, did you know, according to the CDC, about one in four adults in the U.S. have some type of disability? That includes people with disabilities that aren't immediately visible, which is something I never really thought about. But odds are every single day I'm interacting with, you're interacting with, someone who's listening to this podcast is interacting with folks who have a disability they aren't even aware of. And then the other area I'm really passionate about is mental health. And I am not ashamed to admit that I'm part of the more than one in five American adults who is receiving mental health treatment. I will talk about it all the time. I'm very open about it with my colleagues, with my team. Uh, I encourage uh, therapy if you need it. Uh, work can be stressful. Life can be stressful. Uh, the last few years living through a pandemic uh, that's probably one of the most stressful things a lot of us will have ever gone through. Um, and just like taking care of your physical health, taking care of your mental health is just as important. And it's not something to be ashamed of. So what I really want to do with those two focuses is after I complete my program and I'm doing some, you know, I'm not going to call it research, but I'm doing a lot of reading. Um, I'm, I'm looking up statistics. I'm reading about different aspects of mental health and accessibility and things like that. And what I really want to do is uh, use everything I've learned and put together a compelling and accessible story around mental health and accessibility in the workplace. Um, whether it's something for my colleagues that I do as like a lunch and learn or if it's, I end up writing an article and publishing it online somewhere. If I can change the perception for even one person through doing something like that, it will absolutely be worth it. Oh, I love it. And of course, you are pursuing this next goal through education first. <laughs> I, I'm a big proponent of lifetime learning. Yeah, research and, and reading so that you are the most prepared person in the room to put together something excellent. Um, okay, so when you're not data crunching, when you're not in school, where can we find you? Uh, depending on the day. Uh, you might find me hanging out at the Elks Lodge. Um, I am a member of the Elks. I hang out there with my friends. We do a lot of charity work. It's incredible. Um, you might catch me at a Broadway show if I take the time to get into Manhattan. I am obsessed with Broadway. I have seen so many shows. 
I have like 10 on my list that I'd like to go see right now. Um, I might be working on fundraising for National MS Society. I've been doing that for over 25 years. It's just another place in my life that I've devoted time to, even though it's not something that affects me personally, it affects a number of my friends who I've met through that. So being able to give back in any way is just something I love being able to do. Um, the rest of the time, I'm probably just, you know, laying in bed, watching movies, going in the movie theater, watching movies, love the drive-in, especially in the summer. Um, if it's between April and September or hopefully October, um, you'll most likely find mm -hmm. me at City Field catching a Mets game. <laughs> yes. I was waiting for that one. What's the yeah. best food at uh, City Field? Oh, man. they Every year they get new food there. And I up until this year, I would have said the um, pizza cupcakes. I, I'm obsessed with the pizza cupcakes, um, but I don't think they're there this year. So I'm still trying to discover what the new best is. We'll have to write in and tell them <laughs> should never have gotten rid of the pizza. <laughs> oh, you can order them online. I just get them frozen, delivered to my apartment. <laughs> well, what could be better in New York than a pizza cupcake? I don't know. That they're, in, they're absolutely incredible. They were on Shark Tank and they are absolutely incredible. Oh, okay. Well, if they, or if they order or mail, mail order delivery, maybe they can freeze them and fly them to the West coast. I'd be game. I miss the good pizza out here, oh. from Chicago and my husband's from New York. So we are, we're starved for, um, for the good stuff. And it's the things you miss when you move out of those areas, but there's, you know, there's benefits to being other places too. The things that we don't have here. True. Very true. Very true. Okay. Final four questions. What is your best piece of advice for women today to level up tomorrow? My best piece of advice is really for anyone, um, especially women, but really for anyone, be authentically yourself. The more of us out there who are being authentically ourselves in the workplace, the more accepted it's going to become to be who we are. Uh, sometimes, yeah, okay, compartmentalizing is necessary. You have to separate work and life, of course. But whenever possible, bringing your whole self everywhere, being your full authentic self in everything you do is honestly much less exhausting. Couldn't agree more. Okay, where are you traveling to next? Oh, I am so excited about this. Uh, I am heading out on a transatlantic cruise. Uh, I have been planning this for three years. It's my big 40th birthday celebration. Uh, my husband and I are going. We're leaving out of New York. It stops in Bermuda, which is where our honeymoon was. So I'm very excited to go back there. Um, and then four days at sea, which I'm very nervous about. That's a long time with no land. Uh, and then we hit the Azores, Portugal, Four days in Spain. Uh, we'll be in Barcelona on my actual birthday. Uh, France, two days in Italy. And then we're flying to London for three days before we come back. Oh my gosh, that sounds incredible. <laughs> uh, it is going to be a whirlwind, um, but it's going to be really exciting to disconnect from work for the first time in years. Yeah. Wow. Okay. We've got to, um, we're, we're going to have to follow up on that one and <laughs> get all the details. What is your pump up song? 
Oh, okay. I have a few. I, I, I always have a hard time narrowing this down. I mean, WWE is known for great entrance music. MLB is known for great walk-up music. I actually have my own WWE-style theme song that a former coworker of mine made for me. Um, but outside of that, most days I am blasting Britney Spears' work, bitch, to get myself pumped up for the day. Um, more often than not, though, uh, I'm going to be jamming out to Muse. Uh, I just saw them for the sixth or seventh time at MSG uh, a few weeks ago. And right now, I think uh, Won't Stand Down from their most recent album is just playing on repeat in my car. And finally, what is your favorite quote? I'm going to take it back to the X-Files for this one. Uh, just, you know, full circle here. Yes, um, Dana Scully quote from season one. Uh, the truth is out there, but so are lies. If that quote didn't impact 10-year-old Christine's worldview, oh my God. Uh, it still impacts me today, obviously. And I feel like it's even more relevant now than when I was a kid. And thankfully, I've developed the skills to analyze data and find the truth. <laughs> well, it has been an absolute pleasure interviewing you. You're a phenomenal storyteller and have such great advice for our listeners who are on this journey to find passionate and inspiring work and, and lead in the sports and entertainment industry. So thank you so much, Christine. You are an absolute rock star. Well, thank you so much for having me, Emily. This was fantastic. With that, let's get into the top four takeaways. Number one, curiosity, creativity, and commitment are the keys to succeeding in any job. Throw in a dash of passion and you've got it all. Number two, when presenting on tough concepts, bring it to your stakeholder in a way that they can understand. Cut out the technical terms and eliminate jargon. Use plain English and use visuals. Number three, it's a big jump from individual contributor to manager. Here are some keys. Learn to delegate, learn to let go of control of every last detail, and allow your teammates to learn just like you had the opportunity to do from your boss. And number four, be the boss you've always wanted. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Time is your most precious resource, and it means the world that you spent it with us. Please help us reach more people who need to hear these interviews by hitting the subscribe button and the five-star rating on your iPhone. Do you know someone who could benefit from this interview? Please share it. Take a screenshot and post your Instagram stories, copy the link and share on LinkedIn, or text that link to your colleague. The Leadership is Female podcast exists to showcase female leadership in sports and entertainment and give you the tips to level up. We will extend a hand back to lead you forward. Extend the same hand by sharing this with someone who needs to hear it. One last thing. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Leadership is Female. Now, take this lesson and run. Let's go. This podcast was recorded and edited by Emily Jansen, public relations by Paige Hegedus, and distributed by Anchor FM.